This is year two of the White-Tailed Eagle Project, the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation working with Forestry England to establish a breeding population of these magnificent birds on the Isle of Wight in the south of England. In early August, seven young were released over the island and are returning for the food left out for them. I'm in White-Tailed Eagle HQ on the Isle of Wight, which is our very palatial caravan. You can probably hear in the background the calls of young white-tailed eagles and this is a really good sign for us because it's now nearly four weeks since the first bird was released and all seven of the released birds are all still hanging around the release site. Just looking back at some footage from this morning which shows the four birds squabbling around the pens and the kind of scene you see from around the world where you see groups of young white-tailed eagles like this which are sociable it's really exciting to see the birds behaving like this. We'll be following the young eagles progress as they fly further from their release site. What we haven't done so far though is explain how those young eagles were gathered in the first place ready for translocation. This podcast will go out in the field with an audio diary to find out. So Fraser you're just just back from the nest with the bird how was that? Absolutely phenomenal, what a nest site, it's the most beautiful rock and then it's on this uh, quite a large ledge and uh, there's two beautiful chicks there on the ledge and, and uh, this one, actually the bigger one, was the less feisty of the two. The one that we left on the nest was smaller but it was pretty raj to say the least. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely cracking location, really good. In June, once the team knew they could work within Covid restrictions, Ian Perks agreed to record for us as he and Justin Grant left for the Western Isles in convoy to collect chicks for the Isle of Wight. So this is basically day one of Eagle Project 2020. So I'm sitting, the sun is shining, the weather is glorious, it's about 20 degrees. We are set with climbing kit, empty boxes, boots, food full of fuel we are of course in the middle of lockdown still in scotland and it's going to be an unusual trip we're going to be socially distancing we're going to be using hand sanitizer everywhere we've got full risk assessments for covid19 for climbing trees but it's exciting and i'm really looking forward to the trip i'm really hoping that we're going to come back with some birds and we're pretty confident that there's enough birds out there to, that we can come back with at least three hopefully six chicks Roy Dennis has worked on translocations for more than 50 years. When we started to look at how we were going to collect these chicks, we know that there were 140 pairs in Scotland and they're distributed. Uh, There are some that are real outliers. You know, there's one pair breeding in Fife and we wouldn't go there, nor would we go to the ones on the edge of the range. But the best are in places like Mull and Skye and the Highlands and then the Western Isles. And the Western Isles has a very good population which apparently can get access to good food supplies and that's important. And then there was an excellent person, Robin Reed, working with the RSPB, who's a real uh, sea eagle expert. And he knew not only the nests but also the people that own the land on which those nests are. We're about to get our green light to go and board the ferry. I've got my ticket and it's really exciting. It's a two and a half hour ferry crossing where we'll arrive in Stornoway on the Isle of Lewis. We'll drive for about an hour to get to Robin's Croft where we'll be staying in a tent obviously because we can't stay in his house so it will be a socially distanced stay. 
but from then on tomorrow we will be out at nests satellite tagging and ringing and collecting chicks for the project the license allows me to collect with my agents and myself up to 12 young ones per year but i can only take a young one from a nest of two so there has to be two young in the nest if by chance there rarely there might be three then we could technically take two chicks but we're really looking at one out of two the other thing is that when you look in the nest it is important that if the chicks aren't big enough or they're too big or they're not in good condition you do not try to take them how can a chick be too big uh, it's ready to fly and if you climbed up to the nest and tried to take one of the chicks they would fly away and we don't want that to happen we don't want premature flight day one three nests checked and just one chick so far for the Isle of Wight although some single chicks had been fitted with satellite radios for a sister project run by Natural Research. So we've just arrived at the fourth and final nest site of the day. It's about half past seven in the evening, still bright sunshine, lovely spot. And the good news is we've got two chicks on the nest, big thumping chicks about eight weeks old, one male, one female looking like it, and we are gonna take the male, which is fantastic news. So nest four has helped us out. That's two chicks for the day, one male, one female, and we're about to process these birds. It's difficult, and that's why we need these skilled people. You know, people that have been used to handling birds of prey for a long time. You know, all of them have been ringing ospreys with me for a dozen years or more, and then I've regularly ringed a golden eagle and white-tailed eagle with Ian and Fraser in Strasbourg. So they're learning all the time of how you do that. And of course, in the very first time, you know, I explain that when you look in there, they're going to look fearsome. But you, you know, you might put your fleece over the top of them and then they're quieter. And also the way that you hold them. So you bring the wings in carefully and hold them and put them carefully into the bag for lowering down. Those are skills that they learn. And some people can never learn those skills. Some people are too scared. Some people are too worried. Um, these guys are really good. So it's day two and it's the morning. It's another bright, sunny day, fantastic weather. And we are now at Stornoway Harbour. So yesterday we were using vehicles and driving around and walking into nest sites. Today's going to be very different. We are about to get on a rib and go sailing along the east coast of Lewis. Um, it's flat calm, there's hardly any wind, it's perfect conditions, the sun's shining and we're going to go and check out three or four nest sites that will be visible from the sea with binoculars or scopes. We can see what's in the nests, obviously with all the restrictions of lockdown no one's been able to see the nests so we don't know what's in them yet. This boat trip will give us a really good chance to work out what's on the nests and then we can make a plan to go and get some of these chicks and hopefully um, ideally get two today. If we could get three, it would be a bonus, but we'll have to wait and see what's in these nests. So that's the plan. I'm just walking down the jetty now to get onto the boat and uh, exciting day times and we'll see what happens. That's it. 
so I'm a wee bit out of breath because we've just arrived at the first nest site of day two. So we've got off the boat onto a wee rowing boat, got to shore and we've climbed up quite a steep cliff, a scramble, nothing too serious to get to the nest. And the nest here is a really nice nest. It's on a ledge, it's overlooking the sea and it's built at the base of a holly tree. I mean, um, amongst some uh, really nice native woodland here. So we've climbed up, we can see the nest, and I'm looking at a single chick, which is not great news for us in the project, but it's good news for the birds because they've got a chick and it's really big. It's the biggest chick we've seen so far. Um, so we're about to ring and satellite tag this chick. It won't be coming to the Isle of Wight with us, um, but this is only nest one of day two, so there's plenty more options. So we're going to fit a colour ring on the left leg of the bird. They clamp round and they are pre-drilled with holes and they are riveted onto the bird's leg. Maybe gives you an idea of the size of the feet these birds have. Massive. And on the right leg goes a BTO leg ring, which is a metal leg ring that's clamped and secured with pliers. So the bird will have two leg rings, one on each leg. We'll then take a series of measurements. We'll measure the weight. We'll take the length of the primary wing feathers, we'll take the length of the tail feathers, we'll measure its bill, its head and some measurements on its claws and feet, we'll take some feathers that have been molted from the nest and we as mentioned will weigh the bird and then we'll fit a satellite tag and that is a, a fairly involved process that involves sewing on a rucksack for the bird so we're going to do this on the nest um, and it involves getting the bird settled and secure. We fit a shroud over its head that helps to keep it calm and then we will put the tag on its back like a rucksack and there are four straps made of Teflon ribbon that come round the shoulders and under the wings. Those four straps meet in the middle. We have a little template that pulls the ends together and we make sure it's the right uh, in the right position and the straps are tight enough but not too tight and equally not too loose. When we're happy with all that we then sew the straps together, cut off the ends and <clears throat> place a wee blob of super glue over the stitches to make sure they don't come out and then the bird will have a satellite transmitter fitted to it which will then give us a huge amount of data about where the bird is spending its time when it fledges and all that data is really invaluable stuff for the science of these birds we learn more and more about them all the time from this sort of data and it will be interesting to compare the data we have from birds in Scotland with those that eventually end up breeding on the south coast. So these sort of techniques will be mimicked on the south coast when the birds are breeding there. There'll be people down on the south coast of England that'll be climbing into nests and ringing birds and fitting satellite transmitters and taking all these measurements. And it'll be interesting to see if the birds are differing in, in any way, not just in their physical size, but when they, when they lay eggs, when they hatch. Will that be different down there? It'll be fascinating to see how these birds develop the first two nests we've visited today have both had a single chick which means we can't take anything for the project but that's the way it is that's the way it goes but this is a special day the we've been passing puffins next to us uh, dolphins porpoise lots of seabirds it's a magical place um, it really is special and what these birds are seeing is mesmerizing really um, and very honored to be here and let's just hope that we uh, continue with a lucky streak we had yesterday getting two birds and if we could get another two today that would be fantastic. Ian sounds really relaxed actually on this trip but 
it's quite high stakes, isn't it? You're putting a lot of effort and time and energy in. And would the project actually be sustainable if you came home with too few chicks? No, it would be very difficult. But in these operations, you have to be confident and hopeful and determined to get it done. Determination is what these guys have. Um, and and if you can't find the number of young, then you visit more nests. And that's very tiring. So that could go from dawn to dusk nearly. Um, but it is that determination, but a recognition that you mustn't take risks and a recognition that you mustn't collect chicks that are not up to, up to scratch. And actually, when you're always looking forwards and wondering if you could do things better, I would really like to try the possibility of moving what I call some sub-adult birds, you know, birds that are two, three or four years old. If that was possible, and that could be very successful in bringing forward the date of first breeding. And what I'm a great believer in with all these projects, if you see a better way of doing something, always do it. You know, always learn from what you're doing to make the project more successful. So we're now at nest three, day two, and we are directing Robin, who is on land, and we are on the boat, and we are directing him via mobile phone to the nest. He's had to climb right up. We can't see whether there's one or two chicks on the nest. We know there's one. We can see it from with binoculars, but the nest ledge is so big, there could be a second chick sitting at the back. So we're just directing Robin in. He's going to go up, climb down and have a look with his binoculars to see whether there are two. And we are, in fact, I can see him through my binoculars now and he is thumbs down, I'm afraid. So there is only one chick on that nest. So that means we're not going to do anything with it. Robin's just going to bail out. You can hear an adult above me. That's the adult alarming. Um but there is not two chicks on that nest, so we're going to have to leave that be. For expediency, we're not going to ring or do anything with this chick. We're just going to leave it and move on and try and find nest four and hope there's twins on that. How robust does a population have to be before you feel confident in taking chicks for translocation? Well, it's only just got to that stage, really, to getting up to 140 pairs. You know, when there are only... 50 or 60 pairs, that would be more difficult. Um, but you're wanting the population to increase, but you also are looking at how many new birds need to go into the population to make up for the ones that die. And the survival of these uh, adult white-tailed eagles, where they're not persecuted, you know, they're... <laughs> It's something like 98% of them will be there the following year and they may live to 40 years old. So in fact, quite often, the production of young and the survival of young is greater than the requirement to keep that population going. And what we're starting to see is the killing of adults by young adults that want to get into the population. So the removal of these young birds is not really influencing the population at all. But what is also very noticeable is there's a wide variation in the quality of those pears and how much food they have. 
and so some pairs just don't produce many young at all and for them to produce too young would be unusual and even if they did produce too young one of those young might die before we got there so we would much rather take young ones from those pairs that are breeding well and successfully and regularly rearing too young. And, um, Robin's just come back up after abseiling down. What did you find when you were down there, Robin? Uh, so, yeah, just abseiled, just, just so I could get a view into the nest. It's difficult to see into this one. Um, and basically the nest is empty. You just see the lining. Um, and there was a little bit of broken eggshell in the middle of the nest. So, basically... Um, there's no evidence that it definitely hatched, but it looks like it, the, the site failed at point of hatch. In the end, after more nest checking, there was just one more chick for the Isle of Wight on the second day, with just hours left on the Western Isles. So we're now back at the Croft where we're staying, and it's just time to recap really what's happened. We've had two days of adventures here on Lewis and Harris, and we currently have three chicks in the garage all ready for transportation so and what we've decided to do we're due on a ferry leaving the islands tomorrow at 3.30 we're going to get up early and go and check one more nest it's a bit of an epic it's a long walk in over an hour to walk to the top it's on a cliff again on the east coast of Lewis and it will be an abseil down into the nest to see we don't know what's on it so it's a bit of a um uh, hope but also good expectation this nest site we're going to go to has been productive in the past so we're hoping there might be two chicks on it so this is now day three and we've walked a long way into this nest it's a long jaunt from a vehicle track and the fantastic news is there are two chicks so we're absolutely made up so we've now got four birds for the project the bird is in the box and ready to be transported it was a long walk a long abseil lots of work involved but we've got the bird and we're absolutely thrilled so we can get this bird back to the van we can put it with the other three and we can head away to Stornoway for the ferry feeling really pleased that we've got four given everything that's been happened this year with coronavirus restrictions lockdown there were times earlier in the year I think we thought we weren't going to get any birds at all. The project wouldn't be able to carry on this year. But so proud that we've done it. We've got four and it's just a great feeling. So we're going to load this bird in. It's a male, so that gives us two females and two males now. Um, which is really nice to have that even uh, sex distribution. So absolutely thrilled. Get this bird back, get on the ferry, get back to Roy's we can put the birds into the garage there awaiting their flight home. There were more eagle collecting trips to come for Ian Perks and Fraser Cormack to Sutherland, Mull and Skye and then 2020's eagles were off to the Isle of Wight. We've not been away from the house for more than a few miles since late March because of Covid-19. I know but we're not only going out we're going out to the airport which is unexpected and we're going out with three sea eagles in the back. Okay, we're off. And we'll finish that story, how the birds got to the Isle of Wight, in the next podcast. To find out more about Roy's work on white-tailed eagles and other species, go to www.roydennis.org. Thank you to everyone who continues to support the Foundation's work, and the music, Realness by Kai Engel, is downloadable from the Free Music Archive.